I had a friend this week that posted a picture online. Billy, I think I have that on the next slide. Uh, I'm not sure if you can read this from where you are. It says, if you're looking for ways to make your Easter service more biblical, hold it at sunrise and only invite the ladies. I thought it was funny when I read it. A few of you did. Full disclosure, I have zero interest in anything that happens at sunrise or anywhere near sunrise. I'm watching the sunrise, but I want that to be in my house with a warm cup of coffee and nobody else around. Um, I've always had this struggle even with sunrise services. I remember saying to somebody at one point when they were doing a service and talking about how important they were. I was like, that's great and you have fun. I think Jesus is still risen three hours later, and I'll see you at worship when we gather at 1030. Um, so that's, again, that's just me and my wiring, and, and I'm not sure that sunrise is uh, something that I'm interested in because it means all of us getting up and showing up somewhere at sunrise. And I like that sunrise happens while the kids are still in their bedrooms. I was going to say asleep. They're rarely asleep, but they are usually still in their bedroom. Not always that either, but usually. I think the original intent of this picture, put that back up for me again, Bill. Uh, I think the original intent of this picture was, was to be a, a, a little bit funny. We're supposed to laugh when we read it, but, but I think it's also supposed to make us stop and ponder for a moment. I think that it is sort of funny and also intentionally pointed. And the biblical story that it refers to, I think is actually the same. Now we don't always find the humor in it. We don't always connect with the, the, Kind of interesting reality of what happens in Luke 24 and in the other tellings uh, of the resurrection story. But, but there's something very significant taking place. There is a way in which this is almost a little funny that these women show up and all that happens takes place. But it's also very pointed. It's also very intentional. It is also supposed to grab hold of us. And I think that there is intentional significance here. That carries on the conversation we've been having about Jesus and his understanding of of leadership or leadership development. Jesus on leadership development. This story is significant for us, for us grasping part of what Jesus understood about leadership. Let me try to explain a little bit if I can. At the time of the God, does anybody carry a cough drop? Just by chance? Allie, man, you will be so great if you have one for me. Oh, thank you. And she hands me the whole row. I don't know what to do with all of these. Um, Are these the kind of chew or just suck on? I don't want to choke up here in front of y'all. Thank you, Allie. Um, At the time of, of the gospel writings, one of the quickest possible ways to kill the message that Jesus was presenting, to kill the momentum of the work that was going forward, to Kill the movement that Jesus had spent three years of his life working on. One of the quickest possible ways to kill it. Are you ready? Is to tie it to the backs of women. Now, I'm not trying to make a sexist comment when I say that. I'm telling you what I understand about their culture and their society and their perspective of what was happening in in that world. The value that women had in their culture. The value was right about here. Zero. Little to no value in their culture. There are, there are historical writings that even say that a woman wouldn't have been trusted as a witness in a trial. Her voice alone carried no weight. It carried not much value. So Jesus and the writers who wrote this story down chose to do the unthinkable. 
They took a small group of women and they chose that they would be the ones to pass the message of resurrection to the rest of the apostles, to the male colleagues that had been working in ministry with these women. And I don't at all think that this move was accidental. This was a very intentional move by Jesus and by the writers who wrote this story down. For three years, Jesus had been talking about freedom, about rescue, about salvation. Been calling people to lives of peace and hope and reconciliation. Now, there was a Jewish expectation of what this meant and what this meant that the Messiah would do. And in their minds, the Messiah was coming to bring them freedom. But that freedom also meant overthrowing the ruling parties. At this point in time, it was the Romans. And a lot of Jesus' message, the things that he would teach and he would preach. Hey, Dick, would you do me a favor? That thermostat, turn it down a notch or two. There's people fanning and I'm sweating up here. And I know it's the coat because I don't always have one on. But... Mike's already excited. Last week you guys came in and he had it set at 63 or 4 or something like that. You're welcome. I saved you. Oh, it was Tom. Look, now they're just throwing each other under the bus. Much of Jesus' message at this time fits with what the Jewish people had expected would happen. Much of Jesus' message as he talked about the idea of freedom, of salvation, it, it fit their expectations of what they thought was going to take place when the enemy was going to be overthrown. And yet, every time that Jesus would talk, it was also slightly different. There were these weird kind of skews in what he was saying that didn't exactly line up with what they anticipated. And it confused his followers along the way. There were some who'd been watching and waiting and hoping that this overthrow would take place. And every time that his message was a little bit different than what they expected, they they noticed and they were struck by the difference. Jesus talked about freedom, but it, but it wasn't the freedom that they expected. Jesus talked about rescue, but it all, wasn't always the kind of rescue that they had in their minds. And then, the unimaginable. He was killed. And they were forced to wonder if they had missed the point entirely. They wondered if they had missed the Messiah entirely. Something you've heard me say several times is that their understanding of Messiah is that Messiahs are not supposed to die and they're especially not supposed to be killed by the enemy. Jesus did not fit their expectations, and they began to wonder if perhaps Jesus was not the Messiah at all. Many of his followers, many of these disciples, we often talk about the twelve. We know by this point there's eleven as one has clearly betrayed Judas and gone, gone a different direction. But, but there are more than that. There are more than eleven, but the disciples all began to hide Some of them scared, scared of the possible consequences that might come their way by choosing to follow the wrong man, the wrong Messiah. Some of them in hiding because they're confused. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit with what they expected. Others who are heartbroken, wondering if they had if they had been wrong all along, if they'd missed everything that they were supposed to be looking for, everything that they were supposed to get and supposed to grasp. And then there were some who were in hiding 
simply out of disappointment. Messiah or not, they'd just watch a man that they'd grown to love die. And they weren't fully prepared for that. And then in the story, the spotlight shifts to these women. And we're told that early on the first day of the week, they went back to Jesus' tomb. They were not hiding. They had things left to do. They had to finish the cultural and the religious expectations of burying a body. The body needed to be anointed with spices. The body needed to be prepared and taken care of. There was a a process of burial that couldn't be completed on the day of the crucifixion, but had to be completed. So they went back to the tomb to complete all this. They had to finish the work that was necessary to, to fully fulfill this burial, this laying a body to rest the way that they understood it. It never crossed their mind that anything else was possible. That's why they went. That's what they intended. That's what they were doing. Jesus was dead. They needed to grieve. They were not going into hiding, but as far as they understood, the story was over. Or was it? All four gospel writers tell the story of the empty tomb. Now, they all tell it just a bit differently. And and some of us might struggle with their differences, but as far as I'm concerned, it makes sense that they would tell it different. It had been a crazy few days for them. So much had happened for them over the last week. They'd watched so many things take place. And now this. This is is one of those events, one of those occurrences that as it happens, there would have been a multitude of perspectives, a multitude of eyes that would have seen it different, that would have taken it in slightly different. To me, it makes sense that there be questions around it. So all of the retellings are, are, are a little bit different. And as we read it, we don't know precisely exactly what happened because of them all being different. Was there an earthquake or was there not? Did the stone roll away by itself once they got there or had it already been opened? Did someone else roll it away that we don't even know about or hear about? Did the women actually enter the tomb? In the Luke story we read, they did. In other stories, they don't. It's actually an unnamed disciple that is the first to enter the tomb. Did the women interact with the beings that were there surrounding the tomb, those that were present? Or again, was that the disciples that later followed them and came? And, and who, who were they? Was it Jesus there, as some of the stories seem to say? Or was it angels? Or was it someone else entirely? This entire experience was confusing. It was overwhelming. It was beyond expectation. So as they worked to retell it, it had all kinds of little details that kind of changed because it simply didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to any of them. It didn't fit their expectations or what was supposed to be happening or how this was supposed to take place. And here's the biggest reason I think that all of their stories are a little bit different. None of them were there. They're retelling a story that they didn't watch take place. They're retelling a story that they weren't present for because none of the writers that gave us Matthew or Mark or Luke or John were there when the women found the empty tomb. 
those who had been called apostles didn't find the missing Messiah. It was a small group of faithful women who discovered that the once dead Messiah was now alive. Women intent on finalizing the burial were the first to discover that the tomb was empty. The Savior had risen. And then what happens next is that these women are empowered. These women are equipped to lead the movement of Jesus forward. They are called into leadership because leaders tell the story. Our point for what we're talking about as we talk about leadership today, leaders tell the story. And it was these women who had been empowered to go and tell the story. Matthew explains it this way. In chapter 28, in verse 5 and verse 7, I'm going to read bits and pieces of each of them. It says, Then the angel spoke to the women, And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he, he's speaking of Jesus, has risen from the dead. And as they rushed to tell the disciples what had taken place, we're told that they met Jesus along the way. And just a few verses later in Matthew, Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Jesus sent these women. And let me be honest, in my own faith journey, in my own faith experience, I have always read this and looked at this as a somewhat unimportant detail in the story. It isn't unimportant. The gospel The good news, we know what that word, that Greek word gospel means, good news. The good news that Jesus had been talking about was the good news of life, of salvation, of freedom, of hope. The good news of restoration and rescue and recreation. And no one in that culture needed to hear it more than women. Their life was worth so little. They had no freedom. They had no hope. They needed rescue. They'd never experienced life in all its fullness. So the Messiah chose them to be the bearers of good news. The Messiah chose them to lead others. The Messiah chose them to be the first to tell all of the world the crucified Savior had risen from the dead. Jesus began the work of sending his disciples By sending the disciples who most needed to hear the news. Jesus is alive. And he has brought life for all of us. And as the message continued through the disciples from these women to the apostles and beyond to the other disciples, the other followers who had chosen to be a part of what Jesus was doing, it continued to trickle down, trickle down through the years and trickle down through the cultures and through societies to move from place to place to place and to move from decade to decade, from generation to generation to eventually land on us. And this morning, I want you to hear the Good news. But it starts with some bad news. The bad news is that sin has stolen life from us. Our own personal sins and the sin that permeates all of creation has taken from us the life that God created us to live. 
Sin has left us dead and dying. Hey, Dick, you can leave it open. They're not bothering me. Leave it open so that they can be a part. They, they can come back in, too. They're not going to bother me. Um, they may bother other people, but you guys need to all get over it. This is how kids act sometimes. Um, come on in and make yourselves at home. We are good. I have a two- and a four-year-old. They go crazy all the time. Um, so we, we are good. Sin has stolen from us life. But God so deeply loved creation. That God chose to come to earth in the form of a human. God chose to be a baby born in a manger. A baby who grew into a man. A man who called people towards life. John 10.10 says life in all its fullness. Life abundant. A man who modeled what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. A man who was eventually killed on a cross because this message that he was sharing so upset the ruling parties. And because God had a purpose, a desire to conquer sin and death for good. So God chose to come in the form of a human. And then we find that Jesus died. But three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. The dead Jesus was alive again. Death was defeated. Sin was overcome for good, for always, for all time. And now all people are invited to welcome Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend. You and I have been invited to come and follow Jesus. By surrendering our life to God, we have been invited to live life in all of its fullness. Life abundant and free. Life everlasting, the scriptures tell us. And friends, there is nothing that God wants more than for you and me to experience life. God desired it so desperately. That he chose unimaginable amounts of self-sacrifice on our behalf. And my prayer this morning is that you would receive this new life. That you would take hold of the life that Jesus has promised us, that God has created us for. And that from there, like these women at the tomb... That you would lead others to life. That you would lead others to Jesus. Because friends, leaders tell the story. And as Jesus followers, we've been given the responsibility and the opportunity to tell Jesus' story. To tell the story of God who loves people so deeply that God became a human. Baby, teacher, crucified, resurrected. To tell the story of salvation, the story of recreation, the story of freedom, the story of the gospel, the good news that has been offered to us and to all people. Not only do we have this responsibility and opportunity to share Jesus' story, but as followers of Jesus, we also have the responsibility and the opportunity to tell our story. For you to tell your story, for me to tell my story, my story of meeting Jesus. 
our stories of the life that we were offered, the life that we have chosen, and the life that we are continuing to live into day after day. At this point, it becomes more than information. This is one of the struggles of so many of our evangelism plans that are simple information. This is more than theological information. This is about lives being transformed. Yours and mine completely changed because we have met Jesus. Because we have been in the presence of the risen Savior. So we have the opportunity to share our experience. Our experience that we have met Jesus. That we have found life. But obviously we can only do so if that's true of us. Obviously you and I can only tell our story of meeting Jesus if we have met Jesus. Which pushes us back on some of the previous conversations we've had, like Jesus' desire for us to be in his presence. Jesus' desire for us to be fully transformed. Church, friends, people, those of you who are gathered, for those who listen on the internet when a podcast goes up, if you have not yet met Jesus, we would love to introduce you to the Savior. And as we tell the story, as we're called to be leaders who tell the story, we tell Jesus' story. But we also tell how Jesus' story has impacted and changed our story. And then we talk about the reality that Jesus' work, Jesus' story is continuing to move forward. Through the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the local church. The work of continuing to spread the news, the good news of the kingdom of God is happening through local churches that dot every piece of the world. And here in this place, it is valley. Here in this space and for this time, the gospel at work in this place is us. It is valley. The kingdom at work in this community is valley. We have been called to be that. We have been called. We have been chosen. We have been set up to be a representation of life, of salvation, of freedom, of recreation. And as we tell the story, we need to tell the story of Jesus. We need to tell our own story, and we need to tell the story of Jesus' church, which is continuing the work of the gospel. There's this amazing stat out there. I don't know if you've read it, but this incredible stat. That's right. See? I love it. Incredible stat out there that says 80% of the people in our society would go to a church if they were simply invited. When they were polled, they they said that the reason they have not gone is because no one has invited them. Wow. It's not actually their fault. It's ours, huh? You keep hearing that theme as we talk about what the church is supposed to be. Friends, the world desperately wants to hear this story. You and I come in contact with women and men who are begging to experience life. Now, they may or may not like the idea of our religion, of some of our practices or or, or who we are. That's okay. Our invitation is not simply to this place or this religion. The invitation of the Gospels is to life through Jesus. So our invitation is to invite them to Jesus, but they're searching for life. They're looking around every corner. They're searching in relationships with other people, hoping that somehow this is what will allow them to find life. They're searching for it in worldly pleasures, 
too many to name. They're searching for it in tons of world religions or different spiritual practices. The conversation of spirituality is everywhere because people are searching for life. There's a multitude of other options in where, in, in where people are looking. They're looking for life. Life that is marked by freedom and hope. By salvation. By rescue. By recreation. You and I have found life. Life that only Jesus offers and we found it in the same place that these women found it. We found it in an empty tomb. Friends, we have people in our life who are overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by the pursuit of life that they're on and the reality that they keep ending up empty no matter how hard they search and how hard they look. Tell them the story. We have people in our lives who are desperate. They can't find what they long for no matter where they look, no matter where they search. Tell them the story. We have people in our life who are searching and they assume that the only option available to them is to finish the burial process. Finish what seems obvious to them. Continue what they've begun until it finally ends one day. Continue this same endless pursuit that they're on. There is no hope of anything new. They need to know. They want to know that more is possible. Tell them the story. There is more. There is life, there is freedom, there is salvation, there is recreation, there is Jesus. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive again. Death has been overcome, sin has been conquered. Life is possible and available for all who believe. For all who will welcome Jesus as Lord and Savior and friend. Valley leaders tell the story. Who are we telling the story? Join these faithful women. Go lead others to Jesus. Go tell Jesus' story. Go tell your story. Go tell our story of Jesus continuing to work through valley. Church, Jesus is risen. That was terrible. Try again. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Pray with me, would you? Risen Savior, we have come to worship you. We've gathered in this space, whether we know it or not, with a need to meet you in new and magnificent ways. So meet us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.